Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back. Hello, welcome to another episode of Better Words. Today it's a book club. I'm so excited to chat about this one because I think it's actually so, like, it's so interesting. I'm so glad that you made made me read this, Michelle. At first glance, it's probably not necessarily your usual read, but I'm interested to talk about it because it is a brilliant book. But something that really got me was to do with the marketing of it. And it's like full disclosure, it's a HarperCollins book and you working the marketing team. Now, not on this book, this is a British book, but I just think um, it would be interesting to have that discussion, especially now that you've read it as well. So do you want to let people know what it is? Yes. And I think we will just say right now, we cannot talk about this book in a book club way without doing like full spoilers so here's yeah, like we won't spoil the ending ending but we have to discuss we have a to discuss like there's like there's a twist and we have to discuss it yeah. so our book club this week is magpie by elizabeth day it was published at the like end September of last year or something 2021 yeah. something around there um and so if you don't want to hear us discuss it and you do want to read it stop come back later skip this whole thing check the episode description right now for the time code to get to the interview okay spoiler zone entered <laughs> but first just like i we had to get that out of the way but first i suppose i will read the blurb of this book so magpie sometimes marissa gets the fanciful notion that kate has visited the house before she makes herself at home without any self-consciousness. She puts her toothbrush right there in the master bedroom on the shelf next to theirs. In Jake, Marissa has found everything she's ever wanted and then their new lodger, Kate, arrives. Something about Kate isn't right. Is it the way she looks at Marissa's boyfriend? The way she sits too close on the sofa? How she constantly asks about the baby they're trying for? Or is it just all in Marissa's head? After all, that's what Jake keeps telling her, and she trusts him, doesn't she? But Marissa knows something is wrong, that the woman sleeping in their house will stop at nothing to get what she wants. Marissa just doesn't know why. How far will she go to find the answer, and how much is she willing to lose? Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing I want to talk about, because... Spoiler alert, this book isn't really the thriller that it sounds. It's really a beautiful and intricate contemporary fiction about infertility and like mental health and surrogacy. And when you read that, and when you read the tagline, can you read the tagline on the front cover, please? Okay, so the tagline on the front cover. Uh, the front cover for this I've always liked, by the way. It's like a beautiful, like teal blue with a magpie feather and like a silhouette shadow of a face. Um, and so the tagline is: "She has almost everything. The rest she'll take." Okay. What and so, did you think when you read that? So yes, I thought that this was like a domestic thriller, but I will say that obviously the the blurb and the tagline and everything it does make you think that the cover isn't necessarily too thrillery you know it's not like a it's not like a Karen Slaughter cover like you know she's not like running away it's not super dark it's there is a bit of mystery to the face and you think well what does this woman want and of course with the term magpie and the black and white feather that's on the front of the book, you think, well, magpies like take things. <laughs> they yeah. take shiny little things. Um, yeah. And so I understand that, yes, this book is not like a super, super tense, twisty, crazy, dark thriller, but it does have elements of that to it. And so now we're But actually- only in the first half. Yes. So now we actually are quite a bit into this 
introduction if anyone thought nah screw spoilers i'll keep listening <laughs> now yeah. it's like your absolute last <laughs> last warning last warning <laughs> or oh, not even halfway i think it's like probably just over a third surely mm. the book completely switches from marissa's perspective to kate's perspective and kate views things completely differently and as before things got too far in kate's first section i messaged you michelle and i was like okay so i'm reading it um we could honest i don't know we could probably play my voice note that would be quite funny okay so i've been listening to magpie on audio this weekend i completely reorganized my wardrobe and cleared everything out and got rid of eyeshadow palettes that i've had since high school like all that crap um and so i've been listening to it and so i According to the audio thing, like 35-ish percent of the way through, so something along those lines, um, and that I just keep listening to it thinking, uh, like, this is dumb, of course he's sleeping with her, blah, 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 and, I, and then it has just swapped perspectives to Kate, the, like, lodger who comes to live with Marissa and her boyfriend. And so they have been together for years. And so I'm like, does Kate clearly must think, this is my prediction, Kate clearly must think that Marissa, that like, this is like their new house and they've moved in together, she and the guy, and that Marissa is their like live in surrogate. And Marissa thinks that she's moved in with her boyfriend very quickly and they're like in a fast love. And then he lost his job or something. I forget what happened. And they got a lodger. And now he's sleeping with her. And she's like, what? What's like, we're building a life. Like, I'm pregnant with your baby. Like, and it's so, I I mean, the guy is obviously the villain because these two girls have different narratives. But like, you're right. This book isn't what I thought it was going to be. So I don't know. I suppose we don't want to talk about it too much because we do want to do it for a book club. But this is this is my thought this these are my thoughts and so I didn't know who to believe like at at the beginning when it first swapped I was like oh it kind of just the fact that it swapped made me think well Kate must be right and then I started to not believe her either but Kate is right (laughs) and she has been with Jake for like six years I think it was and Marissa is like fully their surrogate and fully aware of this, except she stopped taking antipsychotic medication because she was concerned about the health of the baby and then has concocted this whole narrative in her mind. Because I think from memory, I did read this back in January, but I think she has schizophrenia. Um, and I've got to say, like, I think the whole mental health side of things, I can't speak to the accuracy, of course, like I haven't experienced that sort of paranoid um, emotion or anything like that, but it seemed to be handled really, really delicately, really, really well. And I've got to say what I loved is that it wasn't used to vilify Marissa. It wasn't. And that I think was handled really well because the second, like once we have Kate's narrative, oh, we have Marissa's narrative, sorry, and then it swaps to Kate's and we kind of get all the background from there. And once we're, like, caught up on all sides in the middle of um, Marissa actually attacks Kate in their home before when Jake is out. and But, like, once you immediately, everyone immediately realises something is, like, really not right here, like, what's going on? And... They get Marissa the help she needs and she goes to stay with Jake's parents um, who live a little bit out of London. One of whom I'm pretty sure the dad is like a retired doctor. Yeah, he was so a GP. He, I think so. Yeah, so he's able to say like it's safe to be back on your medication. You know, this is what happened. He's yeah. able to help her. And immediately they're like everyone is just – oh, wow, like what a misunderstanding. Let's just, Mm. you know, get you the help Mm. you need. We'll ensure that you're safe, that the baby is still safe, that everything is fine. But it's never about like 
it's never even a thing of like she's crazy or what happened or I can't believe that this happened. It was like, oh well, that explains it. Like, yeah. it's almost and like she, she forgot to take Panadol, and it's like, yeah. oh, that's well, why. She thought she was doing the right thing because she thought that taking the medication could harm the baby, but she didn't disclose that to them because she didn't again out of fear and the stigma. So I thought that was handled brilliantly. Yeah, I'm really interested to know. How did you feel for the second half of the book? Because I think that huge dramatic thing happening about halfway through, the attack happening halfway through, left me, and and the fact that the way that the blurb and the tagline were structured, left me on edge and sort of second-guessing everything that happened afterwards, doubting Marissa and really waiting for like the other shoe to drop and for her to do something else or for something else very sinister to for there to be this sinister twist at the end. Yes, I agree with you because I think I did think that something else was going to happen because generally a twist like this comes later on. Yeah, I was waiting for like a final page, final yeah. few chapters like. <gasps> yeah, and so in that way, kind of as you're, going the very very end does feel slightly anticlimactic and like something else happens with like his mother or whatever but I don't even remember because that's not as interesting as the rest of the book um but I don't know in the same way I feel like the big twist earlier on does make up for it and you don't immediately know a third into the book that Kate is right like you do doubt her before like all the pieces fall back into place but it was really interesting to read because as you're hearing Kate's side of the story and the background of her relationship with Jake and the years they spent trying and starting to meet with agencies and going through IVF and everything was which was all written so beautifully yeah then as as they start to meet Marissa you you remember things and like they meet at an event and I don't think I remember that from her perspective but then they meet again because I think like a coffee shop she talks about the event as being more of a coincidental thing I think but it was actually a surrogacy meeting for potential surrogates to meet potential couples social event run by like an agency who helps coordinate these relationships and then because they had met then they meet up to get to know each other better the three of them at like a coffee shop but in marissa's perspective this is like their fit and it's like oh wow what an amazing man he is that straight away he's like i want a family and it's like and then and then later on you're like of course he said that because he wanted you to be his surrogate yeah i think i think my main issue with this book is not in any way with the the contents of the book i think it's a i think it's a wonderful book in that sense. Yes, the second half slightly left me wondering if certain things were going to happen. But actually, I think my main problem is with the way it's positioned, because if it hadn't been positioned in that thriller way, maybe I wouldn't have been waiting for that thriller twist that you get. I just think, I think that the tagline, maybe even the title and the blurb do a disservice to what a brilliant contemporary reflective story this is like you said like and I would warn people if you've made it this far and um you know still planning to read it <laughs> yes I mean if you've made it this far and haven't already read it um I would I think there needs to be a warning with this book that it does it could be ex- extremely triggering for anyone who's been through pregnancy loss infertility issues any of those things because it's extremely detailed but it's done in a really thoughtful really compassionate way and then I think another part of the novel that's hugely complex is the relationship that mothers and children have be that from Marissa's point of view with a fractured relationship that she has with her mother the relationship that Kate has with her mother-in-law and that therefore Jake has with his mother and also Kate's concern about the relationship she will have with her future child because she is not the one carrying the child and how much that Mm. impacts. I just think that if the positioning had been more around like a really powerful contemporary novel about what it means to be a mother 
then maybe that, like you can still have the twist in that. It's just, I think setting it up like that sets people up for disappointment when it doesn't follow. You can't set up what like indicate tropes that are going to be followed in a particular genre or position it in a certain way because that's a popular genre and then not deliver on it because people who pick that up expecting one thing may be disappointed and I think that undersells what is a brilliant contemporary novel. Yeah, it is really interesting because... I feel bad saying that to you because I know you're in the marketing team. No, no, because (laughs) this it's, it's really delicate, I think, with a book like this because... Granted, it's not like a traditional, you know, airport thriller, but if if the novel, you know, was called Motherhood or like, I mean, that's a boring title, but, you know, like if it was something else, if it was something else like that and like the cover was in that way or whatever, the twist would be even more confusing, I think. Yeah. And yeah. it also... I don't know. Yes, like I do see I, that point as well. I do. Yeah, see that point it's it's just... really interesting because I feel like with either way, mm. you could disappoint some readers. Like yeah, you is, are a crime thriller person, and you're like, I was a bit confused because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And, and I'm not a massive. It's not like I'm a massive like as you say airport thriller sort of person. But I'm thinking like the thing that sort of popped into my head was Louise Candlish, Our House, which I just reread. And that's, she does that sort of, I would say it's that new domestic noir type of novel. And it feels like this is trying to tap into that market. But I think the second half would leave people quite confused. And yeah, it's just, this is why I wanted to discuss it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a really interesting one to discuss because I actually enjoyed this book a lot more than I thought I would because. Mm of this like the twist and the added part of the story and Mm. like after you read this book as we have explained the whole plot line to you listeners you go back and and read the blurb so much more there's still there's so so much much more more but like the main twist obviously that we've given away now you go back and read the blurb and you're like that's not what the story is about but I kind of like that because I really didn't expect the twist coming I thought this bitch Kate is gonna like steal <laughs> Jake. From I know, but Marissa. I think he could still. I think he could still do it in a way where the, the twist could still work, but make it more about what does it mean to be a mother? Because that question, that was really the question I think at the heart of the novel in terms of surrogacy. Infant, like Kate has so many questions around what does it mean to not be able to carry a child? Are you a mother? Kate, um, you know, has gone through so much with that, and I know. I just yeah plus also it does bring up the point again of do you put trigger warnings in books because I imagine this could be very traumatic for people maybe who've been through that because yeah. it is incredibly detailed and, and then I think of course that's the, the big question for... of like is but is a trigger warning a spoiler <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Which... so when I'm pretty sure on the back it says that she keeps asking questions about the baby so I don't think that that's a spoiler to say it deals with yeah that there is issues. a baby yeah yeah I don't know it's it certainly is an interesting one. We could keep. I think that's about yeah. It, I think it's a case for yeah. that. And yeah, it yeah. It's very it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Um, you know, we would love to know if you've read this book. What did you think? I had a chat with one of my friends um, who had read it, and and we had the sort of it was the same sort of thing. She said, "Oh, like the second half." felt slower for me and I think that's because you get this expectation with the twist so early that it's going to go at a a certain way or a certain pace and I do like being surprised um I don't think the second half felt slower for me I think because there was still it was almost like the first just over a third you know you're like you're on Marissa's side and you're like what the hell's up Mm. with Kate and then it swaps and you go like well hang on a second who do I believe and like it's still and then when everyone is on the same page and it's just kind of all wrapping up and you still don't really know like you think is something else gonna happen Mm. did did Marissa really fall for Jake which might be disappointing for people like that that element might you might be like well I'm really disappointed that you built that up and nothing was acted on Whereas if you took out that, did you feel like the ending was unresolved or 
No, the ending wasn't unresolved, but the whole time I was expecting another huge twist where, for example, the reason that um, that Kate is encouraged not to visit Marissa at Jake's parents' house is because there was something sinister going on. I was waiting for another twist to happen because that's what I felt it was building towards. And then the the resolution of that element felt quite anticlimactic just because it, it had did been a bit to this because thing. it was just that Jake's mother wanted a cleaner thing. She liked yeah. Marissa and she was like, well, this would be cleaner because she's yeah. actually the mother of this child. But I like the not. ending ending. Yeah. The, and like, just to let people know, if you are listening and thinking, oh, triggering, it does have a happy ending. It's a lovely happy ending. That's tied up lovely. And I loved that it was a happy ending. Yeah. But I think there are just elements of it where I was like, that was built up to be like, and, and then I felt let down that there wasn't something else. So maybe either ratchet down the tension on some of that. Um, yeah, but I thought the, the actual themes explored around motherhood were so interesting because each woman had a lot of issues lot of around motherhood. There was yeah. a lot there, which was really nice. Yeah. We actually have to go and record another interview now. <laughs> yeah. But um, we want to hear what you thought of this book, if you've read it. It is a really good book, a really good read, um, but I just thought it'd be interesting to discuss. So thank you. Very and hope interesting. That you enjoy. I hope you enjoy this episode. Our guest today is a British Nigerian writer who is telling the stories that she and her friends have longed for but never seen. In 2019, she won the Literary Consultancy Pen Factor Writing Competition with a very early draft of her debut novel, which is what we're delighted to be discussing today. Our guest started writing alongside her job at Carers UK, but in March celebrated the publication of her first novel, Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Welcome to Better Words, Lizzie Damalola Blackburn. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to talk about this book because telling a few people like the name of the book that I was reading, I honestly don't know what to say after that because I feel like the title just really captures <laughs> what the story is about. It's just it's like they just everyone is always asking her, Yinka, where is your husband? Yeah. <laughs> and we were going back and forwards in our WhatsApp messages, uh, talking about certain certain people in the book and certain <laughs> potential relationships and whether those people may or may not be suitable. And um <laughs> you know like with every every person every every woman especially I think has been through that and they've gone through these bits and there's so many things that I recognized that that certain behaviors that Yinka does certain plans that she makes shall we say (laughs) I think everyone can relate to at some point unless you are just born with an incredibly wonderful self-assurance and (laughs) self-confidence um I think we've all been there at some stage so um let's let's talk about the genre of rom-com first so in our last episode we discussed some classic romantic comedies with our guest Kimberly Allsop who wrote the book Love and Other Puzzles in in your book Yinka Where Is Your Husband you do such a beautiful job of touching on some really important issues in the book which we are going to discuss in more detail things like colorism and faith and virginity and we are, like I said, we are going to touch on them, but you really blend it all with these classic rom-com tropes, these things that we've seen in movies our whole lives. Um, and you create this really fun, again, totally iconic classic tension around the dating life element. So tell us about your connection to the rom-com genre. Why is that what appealed to you as a writer? Yes. Yeah, so um, the funny thing, when I first started writing um, Yinka, I was considering the like Christian publishing route and I did actually look at you know a few um, publishers but they had quite the ones that I found anyway had quite like strict kind of um, guidelines so for example like no expletives and things like that so um, I considered mainstream fiction and um, I wasn't too sure like how it would be received because you know with Yinka being a Christian and the fact that there's not many mainstream fiction with a Christian protagonist um, but at the same time I kind of wanted to subvert like the rom-com genre on its head because I feel like we see the same type of characters time and time again 
And, you know, I wanted it to be a fun, uplifting, joyful book. But at the same time, I wanted to touch on like, you know, more serious issues that people go through because, you know, life is not all, you know, roses and, you know, skipping the, in the park. We also go through you know, challenges that can have an Im impact on our mental health. And um, I was really inspired by authors like Beth O'Leary because I think she has like a, a witty, humorous voice. But at the same time, her books touch on quite serious issues like toxic relationships and grief and things like that. Yeah, I mean, we love Beth O'Leary. But yes, you. <laughs> I think you did kind of blend both of those really, really well because oh, thank you. Inga is un unlike, I guess, our stereotypical rom-com lead that we see in the more mainstream and actually reading this just after having had that discussion with Kimberly about the classics of the rom-com movie genre for example really like was so obviously how white and mainstream well, and yeah. middle class those are <laughs> so and like obviously we are white we can't speak to this but can you just sort of tell us because we clearly have no experience of this what was it like growing up surrounded by all those sorts of rom-coms and movies and not seeing yourself and your community represented mm -hmm. in this really happy fun joyful uplifting way yeah so I kind of had to like search <laughs> I guess like yeah. and I had to kind of like look to the US because in the US I have African-American fiction is big in the US and also African-American romance movies as well so I loved movies such as The Best Man which is like my best movie ever Brown Sugar Love Jones and I was really craving for something like that here in the UK with like black British characters but the movies that were kind of in at the time were those kind of focused on like um teenagers who kind of live in the inner city and you know focused on like crime and um like gang membership and even though i feel like those stories are still important because you know i feel like everyone should be able to see their lives reflected in some way i was just kind of looking for something a bit more uplifting and evokes kind of like black joy so um, to answer your question, yes, growing up, it was it was difficult. I had to kind of look elsewhere <laughs> rather than here in the, the UK. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to phrase it, but I loved reading Yinka's story and learning a bit more about um, her life and everything. It was, I mean, so fun because everyone is a rom-com lead when it's your turn for that story you know mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and we need to we need to see more of that it's lovely yeah to have this book among those that are and in such a mainstream way as well and with a publication in both the UK and the US like that's a that's a huge deal in the publishing world that's and it's wonderful that a book like this that like you said you weren't really sure whether mainstream publishers would take it like is receiving this much praise and also just yeah like getting this exposure it's wonderful and we are gonna we're gonna talk about the publishing side of things a little bit yeah. a little bit later yes, because we love that <laughs> bit but, we love um, asking that. yeah yeah but oh, I guess you. we should talk a bit more about Yinka and her story and the novel so we understand that uh you like many many women who will relate to Yinka's story um have been on the receiving end of a lot of questions about <laughs> when you're gonna find a husband um and I'm sure almost every listener we have will be giggling to themselves right now because <laughs> everyone has had that so why did you want to explore that in your novel and that everyone asking and like why doesn't anyone understand that you can be happily single or why does it seem like it's not an option yeah so um when I first started writing Yinka back in my, I guess, early to mid twenties, um, my dear mum, my dear Nigerian mum, she was asking me, you know, where's your boyfriend? When are you going to settle down? And I remember just kind of feeling the the weight of just having to, you know, to meet someone. I felt like I was running out of time. Bear in mind, I was only like, you know, 24, 25. Yes. And... Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? I know, like, why yeah. is that our expectation? <laughs> like, so, exactly. Yeah, I had that kind of mindset. And if my friends were going through the same thing as well, like their mums or aunties would ask them, you know, where's your boyfriend? And I know how hard it is to not just meet someone, but meet someone that is compatible to you. And I feel like sometimes when people ask those questions, they feel as if, like, you can just meet someone, like, tomorrow and get married but actually the difficult part is meeting someone that's compatible to you and also kind of like you know 
it's a good person as well and aligns with your your values and morals and things like that so I know it's... the fact that any of us actually meet someone that we want to spend that much time with and marry and yeah. have children with is is alarming really like exactly yeah <laughs> how do people do it it's a miracle in itself I guess it's that idea of an actual relationship with a, a human being that you you really you really love and you want to spend mm. time with not just any relationship is better than no relationship at all exactly. even if it's toxic or there are problems like you don't want to feel forced into a relationship for the sake of it yeah and I guess I just wanted to invite that that tell which you know many women can relate to and to also show I guess like the knock-on effect it can have on our, our mental health and the way we kind of see ourselves and um you know the way we see ourselves as women and I guess some of the value that we put on a marriage and things like that so yeah I just thought it could be a relatable tale that many people could resonate with. I think what's interesting too and what really struck me about the book is the way that you explore that while also sort of exploring how that that same expectation or, or other expectations that relate to that so the people in the book who did get married and did have a career had other expectations on them that they felt they living up to so all it was almost like each one of the main characters felt like there was some sort of expectation on their life that they they couldn't live up up. to so even if you're reading this and you haven't felt that particular one but there there will be that feeling of expectation and you're not good enough that is discussed and I think that that's I think you just do it in a really really great way where there is there's dialogue about it and there is a sense of resolution and it's like a really great way to show like actually this is how you can approach those things too which I mean it's not meant to be like a self-help book or anything but (laughs) I loved I loved the way that you know by the end there was that like empowerment and those discussions and some conclusions around those things. The thing that I really liked about I guess just as the basic story being the single one in the family and like everyone saying well when are you going to get married and everything that the journey was to figure that out and maybe, you know, and figure out what you want and come to terms with like being happy with being single for a bit, but still not losing that hope that she will find love one day because I feel like sometimes that part of it is left out of these stories. But also love the fact that one of the characters comes out as aromantic as well. Yes, that too. That was great. <laughs> that was also excellent. Love that. Like... <laughs> So we sort of have touched on already, like most mainstream sort of things, I feel like either take it, they take a bit of, I guess, an agnostic approach to faith or they don't mention it at all. And that that like seems to go across pretty much all books I've read, I would say, like especially mainstream books. Um, But, you know, in this book, Yinka has some really interesting and also some kind of awkward conversations <laughs> around Christianity and her faith and specifically what it means to her. And I I mean, I, I, I know we both sound like broken records saying, I love this. But <laughs> I, it, it, as I was reading it, that was a moment I was like, I don't think that I've sort of seen faith discussed in this way. And then part of that is that Yinka doesn't want to have sex before marriage. And so it's very important to her, obviously, that she, as you say, finds a partner who has the same values as her and stuff. Obviously, that happens in people's lives, but we just sort of gloss over it and just, as I say, it take, we take this sort of like, let's not talk about faith approach to, <laughs> to publishing because I guess we're trying to appeal to the, to the broader Yeah, market, to commercial but... entertainment that, uh... as a whole, really, just like gloss over it. And to the point where... Now, I don't know about you, Michelle, but now sometimes if, you know, in the TV show or something, all of a sudden the characters go to church and like, depending on the show, obviously, and who the characters are, but sometimes it catches me off guard and I'm like, oh, it exists in this (laughs) world. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, you know, you have sort of mentioned wanting to write that, but can you tell us a little bit more about why that was so important to you to explore in this. Yeah, because you mentioned maybe leaving it out if you were going to pursue mainstream publication. So how did did that come together in the story in the end? So, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, my faith is really important to me. And, you know, many of my friends are Christian as well. But the books that we read, it's kind of told through a lens of, um, I guess, people without faith. I just kind of wanted to make the story very inclusive so that people who are 
you know, single and happy to be a Christian as well can have like a character to kind of relate to. And I also wanted to show like, because I feel like sometimes it has this kind of like um, stereotype of Christians of being like pious or self-righteous or judgy. And I wanted to show like the other side of Christianity and show that, you know, we're not all like that. Like it's a very um, personal relationship and it's very intimate and very beautiful at times. And how Yinka has a, you know, a relationship with God where she sees him as a, a friend and how she feels like she can find in him especially with her father having passed as well. So I just kind of wanted to show Christianity in a different light. Um, at the same time, I had to make sure that there was balance because I didn't want anyone to think that, you know, it's bad enough that people have the assumptions that Christians are judgy or like preachy. So I yeah. don't want people to think like I'm trying to like, I don't know, convert them indirectly. So <laughs> Get your message across to... through the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I had another character who it was um, agnostic. And that's why I had a conversation to show, you know, why someone might believe in God and why someone might not, because I feel like both reasons are, are valid. So just to get across that balance. I loved that conversation. And I loved that that character was like, yeah, I am going to try going to church. And you know what? I've tried it. Maybe not for me, but I respect your, like, I just, I really love the way that you approach that and I think that it is something that as readers we can take away and think actually yeah like let's not avoid those conversations because because we're scared someone's going to be preachy at us like let's actually have the conversation and hear other people's points of view mm-hmm. as well um because I think we can tend to to, to keep away from it just because like oh don't want to cause a fight or don't want to oh you know yeah um but, you know, there's there's no harm in actually listening and trying to understand other people's viewpoints and why they believe in stuff. Yes, because as Yinka also discovers, hiding <laughs> things from people just leads to misunderstandings yeah. <laughs> and yeah. miscommunications. Um, and also making assumptions <laughs> about every Christian being the same oh, <laughs> also yeah. ends up with the same misunderstandings. <laughs> Yes, and in her dating adventures, there are lots of fun mishaps, as, again, Mm -hmm. is part of the classic rom-com genre. There's, you know, there's bad dates, there's awkward conversations, there's, (laughs) you know, your friends thinking you're crazy and not understanding what's going on. And there are, you know, the journey that Yinka goes on, I don't... I don't even know what my question is. I just want to keep talking about it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I said before we started recording that, like, I love her, but also she made some incredibly frustrating decisions. <laughs> Were you as the writer, like, a little bit mad at her for some of the decisions? <laughs> or, like, you know, she gets into some really awkward, messy situations that I was cringing about. Yeah. You know what? Um, I actually found it. A bit of a joy because it made it very fun to write so anytime yeah. she didn't make this decision I was like oh it's going to be like a spicy thing <laughs> so I quite liked just it, like actually. putting the putting the drama in there and seeing what happens yeah. <laughs> I love that I love that um, and I loved if we I don't know can take some time now to talk about some of the other characters in the book because yes, yes. her friends and cousins and family are you know just as much a part mm-hmm. of the book as Yink is yeah. and I I loved Nana and Rachel and Ola like their whole group yeah and I also I love the um I love in books when I mean again we just sound like broken records like you love this book. <laughs> oh, but um you. you know love 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 quirky little things like the fact that we get text messages we get voicemails we get emails no, I we see the post-it the notes all of that yeah I'm, yes yeah that just that quirky little stuff I think just adds so much to to any book so I love that that was included and I know sometimes it can't be easy in terms of formatting and and all that sort of stuff and as a reader I really really enhances the experience so much it really Mm -hmm. does it all comes to life it really does I have Um, to shout out to um, my publisher for um, I guess really bringing those assets to life like the post-it notes and the the website searches um, and what yes the google search history that was yeah. so funny i don't think i've seen that in something before like text messages and stuff is that's in it just books now you into, but a google search history mind. that was so funny because yeah. we, again we've all been there like on our phone in bed and you're having a panic and you're like oh how do i do yeah. Oh. Yeah. but you know you also don't shy away like yes we've got all the fun stuff we've got the messy awkward situations but you also i think 
in a really realistic way deal with the fallout from some messy situations and the actual like you know people do get hurt with conversations and people do have to have conversations and you know there is discussions of like maybe you should go to therapy like maybe what you're doing isn't great at the moment and stuff like that and I I really appreciated that you didn't just just go with the joy like you brought in those other stuff so one of those things um probably like one of the more like heartbreaking (laughs) moments of the book for me was um some of the discussions around colorism and Yinka's own definition of self-worth and some of the fears that she has around that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, I knew that if I was going to write a story with a dark-skinned lead who has, like, falsy, kinky hair, I just knew I had to touch on colorism and texturism because it's such a a real big thing in our, you know, in the black community. And um, day-to-day... I think you can see colorism if you really look hard to see it. So whether it's the lack of dark-skinned women in the media or like lack of dark-skinned women playing love interest in romantic movies. And I kind of wanted to show like how, in Yinka's case, she receives all of that and internalizes it. And she kind of feels as if she's not beautiful enough. She questions how attractive she is. She doesn't meet, I guess, like the eurocentric standard of beauty and also from the fact that you know she was bullied for her dark skin when she was young and her dad who was the one who affirmed her is no longer around as well so yeah it was very important for me to kind of touch on that because I feel like um there's a lot of people who'll be able to relate on it and also to raise awareness of colorism as well so that if people do see someone that is being colorist or saying things which kind of like it's colorist they can kind of like call it out was it difficult to write some of those sort of things like certain scenes where she's looking at products in the hair store or where she's in the therapist's office like was that mm. quite difficult to to go into that place where you're in that headspace um I think when it came to those scenes especially the one when she went to the hair shop and considered you know buying lightning products I think that really came from my heart because I think that was the one scene that I just wrote like once obviously when it came to editing I kind of looked at it again but it wasn't a scene where I had to kind of like it just came out <laughs> yeah it just came out like revisit yeah. like multiple times or kind of like rejig the paragraphs it just kind of like felt very real and came very sincere and heartfelt and even with the letter as well um I wrote that in one sitting the yeah. letter to her younger self yeah let to her younger self yeah. yeah that was so beautiful I love a letter to your younger self assignment people <laughs> yeah. should write those all the time yeah <laughs> everyone like once a year <laughs> well what I did find difficult was um the therapy sessions and I actually did see like a, a therapist and did a mock session with her so I did tell her beforehand that um it's my book so I didn't pretend to be, to be in <laughs> um, going with like a secret microphone yeah. <laughs> um and the reason why I find it difficult is because I had to strike a good balance of like not just speaking through the therapist and like saying too much so you, you know that golden rule of writing like show don't tell yeah. and I think um, at one point I was kind of like discussing colorism and the roots of it and my editor said it's just too much it just feels like as if like your author voice is coming through as opposed to the therapist voice so I had to make sure that yeah that it wasn't like too overwhelming and too I guess Informative. Yeah, like we get to the and scene and it's like natural. here's a history lesson <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well it doesn't feel like that at all no. it feels yeah. very like a natural discussion you would have with the therapist so oh, clearly the, the research worked <laughs> yeah I think it probably would be hard to write something like that because like the good part is that like they therapists and counsellors and things ask you questions to get mm. you to talk about things oh. and so it would be hard to write I think to direct <laughs> because you just want you like it's a character that I guess you could use to just kind of explain some stuff so to not do that would be difficult Mm. I think so we might move on to having a bit of chat about like the publishing process now I think it's probably we ask everybody this don't we I just find it so interesting because it is different for everyone um and you've already touched a bit about um touched on about how you'd considered Christian publishing or mainstream publishers so I almost want to be like just tell us from the beginning your journey to publication (laughs) but that could potentially be a long story but 
I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so I mentioned earlier that I mentioned that Yinka started off as a short story. No, but I, I, yeah, I was waiting for you to mention it because I, re- I did some research before. Okay. So you started on, you had a blog, didn't you? And you were sort of yeah. on the blog. Yeah. So I had a blog called Christian Day Dilemmas because, you know, as I mentioned before, I was looking for like mainstream like stories with Christian leads. I couldn't find any. So on this blog, I had short stories with each Christian character was going through some sort of like love dilemma. And Yinka was one of them. And um, I went to this blogging workshop and I met this amazing author called Jackie Lay. And um, I wanted to get feedback on my writing, as all writers do at some point. So I shared my blog with her. And in addition to her, like, giving me some really helpful, constructive feedback, she said, do you know what? I really love this Yinka character. I think you should turn her story into a novel. And so I did. But I kind of, like, jumped into it blindly because I didn't know what it takes to write a novel. And so I think for like the first year and a half, I was basically just starting and stopping and starting again, just winging it basically. And it wasn't until I read this um, book, which I recommend to all writers called Story Engineering by Larry Brooks. And it explained that, you know, um, writing is a craft. In order for it to be engaging for the reader, there needs to be like structure and conflict and an inciting incident and compelling characters. And it all sounds, you know, very basic, but at the time that was like my light bulb moment so that kind of like was that that encouraged me to kind of invest in myself as a writer so from that point forward I started to attend creative writing workshops or like do online courses I started to read more as well um you know anything and everything I could grab my hand on just to learn more about writing I did so you know at the same time Yinka story was kind of like you know steadily evolving and growing and then in 2019, I um, entered the Literary Consultancy Pen Factor writing competition. And I very nearly didn't apply because when I read the bios of the previous winners and shortlists, they all had some sort of like, you know, writing background and writer credentials. And, you know, I don't have an MA in creative writing or I'm not a journalist by profession. But thank God I applied because I, <laughs> I ended up winning. And that's how I met my agent, Nell Andrew because she was on the panel of judges. And um, to cut a long story short, we, we connected after the event. And after asking for um, a synopsis and 50 pages of a manuscript, she offered me formal representation. And I had to give a shout out to her because at the time my writing was still quite raw. <laughs> and um, you know, my, the story needed a lot of work, but she saw a huge potential in me and also in the story as well. And so um, she really helped me to like make the narrative more focused because there were like there was so much going on and believe it or not there was more subplots it is hard to like when you're so close to it to be like actually maybe I need to pair this back a little yeah, bit or like okay maybe this friend isn't that important to the overall exactly. story I guess but yeah <laughs> Yeah. But her world is so full, I'm surprised that there was still more to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And yeah, so I finished a manuscript during lockdown, which ended up being a blessing in disguise because I really find it difficult to, you know, juggle work and writing and commuting. So I finished it in May 2020, and I think we submitted in June to 18 publishers, and then um, Via came preempted within 24 hours and by preempt I mean I mean they snapped it up very quickly so yeah. the other publishers couldn't like bid on it I think a, a week after or two weeks after the US pre- preempted as well and yeah. it was just such an exciting time I just couldn't believe how enthusiastic they were about Yinka and how much they loved it and I was like really like this is my story and I I'm a bit of a novice writer, like are you sure <laughs> so um yeah like the best time of my life and yeah they've been really great in kind of like supporting me and you know just with the Yinka campaign as well um yeah I couldn't ask for you know a better publisher yeah that's amazing I I mean what a story I love that you were like oh maybe I could like try and turn it into a book so you're like (laughs) I'll go to every you know workshop do every course and just like really work on writing that's so impressive 
I have the same of like I feel like I have the same personality where it's like okay I'm gonna do this right now research like find out how to do everything everything. (laughs) I mean it's that's a fantastic story really working on the novel and getting it to the point where it was ready for an agent and then ready for a publisher and then ready for publication so I was gonna say I kind of just like glossed over the journey itself so it, it was a very hard journey in terms of like kind of committing to the process especially if we don't know where it's going to lead to anything as well so um mm. yeah I'm very happy that I didn't give up because there were many many times when I felt like okay why am I doing this yeah, <laughs> yeah. who's ever gonna been, read it yeah it must have been really hard to juggle with you know your full-time work and stuff as well yeah because um I live in Milton Keynes in England, which is like a two hour commute to London, at least door to door, um, where I was working. So, and I really struggled to write on the train. Like anytime I yeah. try to write, people like look over at my manuscript and I found it. Ooh. Yeah, Don't very look. awkward. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't read my writing. Yeah. 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 I can see why lockdown was a bit of a blessing then. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah. Just to, I mean, I guess that's two hours. If you, is it two hours like each way? each way yeah. yeah yeah so that's like oh four goodness. hours of your day you get back for writing exactly Amazing. yeah that's far. <laughs> yeah I know. That's so far. and Caitlin lives in Sydney so she has a commute as well but yeah oh, no. I live like five minutes away from my office. oh <laughs> I'm so I'm so bad <laughs> I'm so yeah I, just, I know I think yeah. that is definitely one thing that no one wants back after COVID is their commute mm. Mm. Um, yeah but unfortunately yeah. it's here so <laughs> Unfortunately, so. <laughs> um, when did you? I know we did just mention before. We keep jumping all over the place. I'm sorry to all our lovely listeners. At what point did you add in the elements like the post-it notes and the history searches and stuff like that? Like, how many was it mm. always there? So I had. What did I have um, before gone agent? I had like the. I'm not, I'm not too sure whether it was in a post-it note format, but she was keeping a record of like um, different things her she was plan. doing. Yeah, I think it was on her yeah. phone, and yeah. I had the WhatsApp messages and things like that. But then when I got to an editor, they they said, "Oh, I wonder if you can push it even further and you know have things like website searches and post-it notes." So that's when I included those bits as well. And I really wanted it to be like an immersive experience because I love it when you watch a show and you know like when a character gets um, a text message and we read it at yes, the same time as them. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of that. wanted it to feel yeah. like that, like you're watching, like you're reading something that could be a TV show. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, I love I love those effects. Yeah. I also loved how Yinka was when she started her Instagram account because oh. <laughs> she just immediately became annoying with it and we can all relate to that as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um again jumping back because this is my favorite question what surprised you the most about going through the publication process good question I think the number of like the rounds of like editing I had to do I was a bit naive I thought you know once I you know once you get a publisher an editor then it would just be like copy edits and then proofread it and then you're good to go like I never knew there'll be like structure changes having to look at like writing new chapters and new scenes so I think the first time I got my editor's notes I think it was maybe like six pages long and I I remember crying I was like oh my gosh I can't do this (laughs) because it really meant that I had to dismantle a manuscript and try to put it together again yeah but I'm so happy that they put me through that because if I show you like the manuscript before I got an editor to how it is now it's like night and day and it's so much better and, and so much stronger as well and um a lot of the characters are much more fleshed out as well so I remember my US editor she loves Nana and Antigletin so she really wanted to see more of them yes, yes I love well, Antigletin yes <laughs> I love them um yes and you're I... so right I mean God bless publishers and editors. I, I work yeah. in publishing and the first time I read, I read say 20 pages or something of a manuscript that um, we chose internally for like this internal prize we have. So it was, I read the entry with, you know, not nothing, but like before I had gone through our publishers and editors. And then when I read the book, when it was being published, it was the first time I read the difference oh. between like a submitted manuscript 
yeah which I'd only read about 20 pages of and then I read the full book with like that after I'd been through a structural and a copy edit and proofread everything and I was I was like oh my god they're magicians like like it was it was a thriller and it was gripping and like interesting and I cared about the character and everything beforehand Mm. but I was like how did they make it so much better (laughs) I think I think too like I've obviously never gone through an editing process for anything as big as a manuscript but the projects that I have I love the process of editing someone. I always say this in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I love the process of editing someone um, and helping that and seeing them improve. Oh. But as a writer, I also love the process of being edited. But it is simultaneously horrendous and wonderful because oh. at the time, like you said, you get those edits back and you're like, everything I write is crap. <laughs> I never get this is so crap. Like, and you just as you're doing the first draft too, you know deep down, and I'm sure you may feel like this when you work on you know subsequent books is the first time you write it you're like this is gonna be shit and you're like you know you know that the first thing is gonna need working on but you cannot work on it until you push Uh, through and get it out going through that processing and dismantling your manuscript and starting again like that is the process that actually makes you a better writer like Uh, anyone can write a million first drafts uh, that actually honing in on what to fix and refining it like that is the point and maybe that's why it's so hard it's like when you have physical growing pains as a kid it's like that is the point it really (laughs) hurts and it's hard because it's where the growth is and that's yeah it's where the the point is where you're improving I think Mm -hmm. um yeah it's it's a difficult process but I I love it and I think what comes out of it then it's, it feels even better, doesn't it? When you're like, yeah, yeah that was really hard and this <laughs> is really good and I'm yeah. amazing and suddenly you go from that person who's crying when you get your edits back to like, I'm the best person ever. <laughs> I'm such a genius. How did I write this? <laughs> well, I hope you had one of those moments, Lizzie. <laughs> yeah, I hope you did. I mean, it doesn't matter if it doesn't last, but like, you know, even I read some over some of my old stuff that I've not read for a while the other day and I was like, my god did I write that what did that come out of my head (laughs) so yeah I hope you had a moment where you're like yeah this is pretty damn good good. it is a damn good book yeah (laughs) I'm just so happy that I committed to the process and you know because it took quite a few rounds of editing because I think at one point I kind of forgot that okay people are going to read this and I remember at one point I was thinking to myself oh should I just hand it in because I'm tired like (laughs) <laughs> so I just kind of like hand it in now and what will be will be. But I'm so glad I actually pushed myself because like right now I feel comfortable with with how it is. And if people do have any qualms about the book, I know that I've put my all into it and I couldn't have done, you know, any more, you know. Mm-hmm. But if I had not done that, then I would have had regrets. Like, oh, maybe I should have spent more time in this area and that area. So, yeah. Wow. I'm happy with it. <laughs> to be wonderful. happy with the book that is published... We interview lots of authors, Lizzie. I think that's a big accomplishment because yeah. it is, I mean, it's that age old thing. Once, I mean, once it's handed in and printed and everything, the book, you know, you can't change it. So to yeah, be happy yeah. with that product, I think is very <laughs> impressive. So well done. And you should be proud of it. You should be proud of it because Yink is an amazing character. All of the characters are amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> it's such, it's such a brilliant story. And I know you mentioned before that you took a lot of heart in watching American films. Uh, uh Um, And obviously, you know, you did get an American publication deal with this, something that we often ask our Australian authors who also have US publication deals is the extent to which I guess they have to Americanize their books. (laughs) Um, You know, like often take out different bits of slang um, maybe different references to things your book is very British that is an essential part of this story and I think you're representing a community as well but did you have to change much for the American version no my my US editor got it I think the only word that we changed was um MOT which is like um, the tax for a car here in the UK and they changed it to another word in the US um, but even like barrister, which is a lawyer um, in the US, they, ch- they kept the word barrister. They didn't change it to, to lawyer, which is um, Auntie Blessing's profession. So, wow. yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Even the slangs as well, um, they kept it the same. 
Uh, and it's quite nice because like I've had a few US readers kind of like, you know, reach out to me and have told me that how they kind of looked up certain references in the book. So for example, like Chicken Cottage, which is a, a takeaway, chicken and chip takeaway um, chain here in the UK um, and things like that. <laughs> chicken Cottage is such a cute name for a takeaway shop. <laughs> <laughs> I love that and I think there needs to be there needs to be more of that as well and like I said it is such a nice part of the book as well is is talking about Peckham talking about gentrification and talking about London Mm. and just even though that was only a you know tiny part like a couple of conversations still really relevant I loved that um now I think you've already answered this question but it was a fun and joyous book for us to read clearly how did it feel for you to write? <laughs> it was, I don't know, bittersweet is the right word to use. Like a mixture of like joy and pain, I guess. Like yeah, it was joyful because I really was passionate about, you know, the story. I knew like if I finished it and got it published, like it would, you know, just help a lot of women out there and it would be such a relatable story for them. But it was painful because, yeah, just writing a, a novel is, is, is really hard. And, it's a and lot just of like, work. Yeah. I'm consistently impressed by everyone we talk to because every time we ask about, you know, the journey and, like, you know, you said that, you know, it took you years. People say well, they worked yeah. on the book for years, went through all these rounds of editing. And I just think, man, books are long. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then there's us being like, oh, we read it in a day. <laughs> <laughs> devoured it in a day yeah <laughs> I just about did I think I read it in two days like in two days well I was oh, wow. like so, it's so readable after I couldn't put it down I just oh, loved, thank you. I loved spending time with Yinka and <laughs> all the characters um how how does it feel knowing that you know a young dark-skinned woman will read this in the future and hopefully you know feel like they've been represented yeah that just like warms my heart like I've already started to receive messages from from women who said you know thank you so much for writing this I feel seen and like just like really long messages as well like pouring their heart to me and it's just so humbling as well um that you know a book can have this power and I think that's why it's important that stories you know reflect the you know society and how diverse it is and um you know everyone should feel seen and everyone should feel like they can relate to you know a character so yeah i'm I'm just very touched and humbled (laughs) yeah absolutely and um you know do you have any feedback from like your parents or your family yes Inca's world is like full of all of her friends and family and aunties and like everyone so giving their unsolicited opinions yeah so how's that been for you (laughs) so my mum she doesn't like really read like fiction um but she read Yinka within a week and I remember like when she was halfway through she called me she said Lola which is my Nigerian name like I'm so so proud of you like um I can't believe like this came from your head because she was with me from I guess the very start she saw me in my room like you know just kind of working my laptop (laughs) tapping away yeah and so yeah she said I'm very very proud of you I respect you so that was like that really touched me as well to get that feedback Aww. from my mum. And yeah, all my family and friends are like super proud of me. Um, they've asked me, oh, is it based on me? I'm like, no, no, it's not based on me. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think there's something about fiction where maybe because it's not explicitly stated where people are like, oh, is I wonder me? if it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then you probably, as a reader, like if I was your friend, I'd probably be thinking like, did I say anything remotely like that? Like, is that, could it potentially be me? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I guess we all like to centre ourselves in everything. Absolutely. That's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Like, I've had a few people, like, call me Yinka by mistake. Like, oh, no, sorry, Lizzie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not based on me. Like, obviously, like, I drew inspirations from, like, you know, certain things in my life, you know, with Yinka being a Christian and the book being set in Peckham because I don't really like the research part of like of writing to have to be honest so yeah. if, I can, if I can draw on things that I know then then fair enough um, I yeah. love that I think people's I think that is most often the reason why and people go oh well maybe it's about you and it's like no I just <laughs> just there. if the character is my age then I don't have to think about math 
because I know how old I was when something. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's oh, been joyous to me. chat to you. We yeah, likewise. Yeah, I've enjoyed it as well. And it's just so nice to like um, hear your enthusiasm as well for the book. And um, yeah, thanks so much for your support and for championing me and Carl. I really appreciate it. Oh, <laughs> our pleasure. We loved her. Yeah, we <laughs> love her so much. Can you just let people know where they can find and follow you online? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Damilola Lizzie or um, Instagram at Lizzie Dummy Blackburn. And the book is available now. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review.